0: Hello, and welcome to episode 97 of Kaiju Curry House, the fortnight show that gives you a healthy dose of Kaiju goodness every other Monday. I'm Paul, joined today by Connor and Joe, and special guest we have Livy Edwards, a visual effects production coordinator. Welcome Livy, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, we, we will start off straight away with the favorite pun and say, Connor, what's a Kaiju been up to?
2: Well, uh, Paul, um, I'll just want to say that uh, Joe is a very, very bad influence. Right? Yes, he is. Yes. He's very manip- manipulative. I make people read. <laughs> I make people read books. Right. So, um, Joe has a, uh, a certain collection of King Kong books, uh, some from Joe DeVito and uh, others. Right. And that has made me buy two of said books. So, we have the original. Oh, we're off to a good start uh <laughs> can't see that but uh, I'll i'll just say um uh, we've had the original book by Marion c cooper um so it's basically based on the uh the original script from 1932 before it got uh, made into an actual film or during the production of it i suppose and uh the other one being a novel by an author called um, what's his name uh russell blackford called uh Kong Reborn. Oh, I love that when it goes blurry. Um, I will say that uh, I have started reading the uh, the original King Kong book. And it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a, a, an alternate dimension, like you've stepped into an alternate dimension uh, to like a, a story, you know, very well. And then when you start reading it, it's like, completely different. You know, there's certain uh, differences, like character names are different, or there's the addition of scenes like there's a scene with triceratops in it um the the ship is called the wanderer and the book you know all, all that jazz pretty much but um yeah aside from that i haven't really been up to uh much else just reading those uh two books so um i'll just uh move on then so uh paul you picked on me so uh what have kaiju been up to
0: um i haven't been up to a, a massive amount Ava. Uh, i need to but- send you a book then no, do not send me books, Joe. i got a Kindle for Christmas. I'm determined to use the Kindle. <laughs> um, I have downloaded loads of books. It's just finding the time as always. Um, I have been playing um, a fair bit. I've been playing um, Horizon Forbidden West, which has lots of robotic dinosaurs, creatures in. It's very, very cool. Uh, story goes a little bit very sci-fi, I should say, more sci-fi than the original, but it's, it's, um, been, it's been good to play. and the, dinosaurs like there's a a spinosaurus type thing but he shoots beams out like a shin godzilla it just looks really cool so joe you can have to do some 3d printing for me (laughs) um and i also had a reminder from netflix that love death and robots season three is out and that reminded (laughs) me that i haven't actually watched season two yet so i've been watching that and i have to say there's a seasonal episode where two kids um hear santa claus come in Oh, that's just got a fantastic creature in it it's very i let, I let, uh,
3: <laughs> I let our 10 year old watch that episode no one dies or anything you know? no no i mean no one swears but
0: as long as the kids are good i think it's it's fine i don't my, know what would happen they, if
3: they were bad i forget what season it is but my favorite creaturey episode is the one with the ghosts from the mesozoic where he's swimming amongst all the ghosts of the uh prehistoric life forms because where they're driving through in america oh,
0: yeah but that was the end um, of season one somewhere like episode
3: somewhere but they're driving through somewhere in the american midwest and that area during the time of the dinosaurs was underwater so they're driving through at night and all of a sudden all the ghosts from these prehistoric animals start swimming around them it's 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 amazing uh visually it's striking i'll say that um I see off the wall, like crazy stuff, but you know, it's really good.
2: Yeah, I say my favorite episode is the one where it's the train and they're going through like this uh, field of corn and there's this creature that's in the corn that starts chasing folk when they go into it. You know, I just, uh, I don't know. I just really like that creature design in that episode, um, which Astro was my favorite episode. Mm -hmm. It's the
3: one where he wakes
2: up and he realizes he's not where he's been dreaming. Oh, it's a nightmare episode, that one like, um, yeah. uh, generally stressful at times. <laughs>
1: that
3: was a stressful
2: one. Have you watched Love, Death and Robots, Libby?
1: I've watched the first two episodes of season one. I think it was a while ago because um, a producer I worked with was super into it. And I needed something to watch and I started watching it and then I I don't know I, what happened. I need to I need to catch up and finish
3: they're it. all random. You they aren't yeah, exactly. really linked in any way. Well, two yeah. episodes are linked, but it's more I think one of those episodes was just like a preview for the third season, like there's a third season coming. Mm-hmm. It's like these three goofy robots wandering around oh, yes, a robots. post- post-apocalyptic like world. And you know, they're just talking about like humans were really weird, you know, it was just great.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I've, I've been watching season two, and I think the first episode was about a, a giant who washed up on a beach.
3: Yeah.
0: Which is then completely different from one where there's someone who's in a space battle and start, has to fight against a, a robot. You it, know, it's every episode is completely different, different animation style. So, and about 10, what, 10, 15 minutes each. So it's They're it's quite creative. nice just to stick on and chill, yeah. But um, other than that, I have not been up to a massive amount. So I will ask, um, Livy, what have Kaiju been up to?
1: Uh, well, recently I started reading a book uh, by Neil Gaiman called The Anansi Boys, which is I've only just started reading it, but, but basically the main character called um, Fat Charlie, unfortunately, finds out that his father's passed away. And then it transpires that actually um, His father's kind of like a reincarnation of an African god uh, which turns out to be the trickster god which is a spider Um, so there's like a lot of it 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 goes very deep into like African gods and stuff which are all supposed to be like different animals it's really fun kind of like easy read so far and obviously it's by Neil Gaiman so you know it's going to be like super wacky and like fantastical but I sounds
3: very American gods-esque
1: Yeah, it's technically a spin-off, technically a spin-off. I was about to ask, yeah. um, Which is another one of his that I need to read, but that one's a lot longer than Anansi Boys. So I figured I'm going to go. I had Anansi Boys anyway, so I figured I might as well read that one first. But yeah, uh, I'm terrified of spiders. So I hate the fact that like the main character who is technically like a good guy uh, is is a spider in some form. So that's fun for me. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, apart from obviously seeing you know multiverse of madness eight times and you know just kind of cringing a little bit at Shumagorath uh, in that fight scene I have some thoughts on the way that was done visually because I found out which company did it as well that was my uh, that was my goal with that one to find out who did the good old octopus boy because I had a theory the theory was wrong uh maybe we'll get into that a bit later in the podcast though sure
3: yeah you can describe it
1: sounds intriguing but yeah so that's what i've kind of been up to
0: okay would you like to ask joe the question
1: yes joe what have kaiju been up to
3: right so for change of pace i haven't been reading about stuff um i have been watching things i recently watched the new jurassic world movie which dinosaurs were inaccurate the premise of the movie was inaccurate but within the confines of the universe that they've created for this franchise i think it worked very well and my daughter and i had a great time watching it Um, i really enjoyed the different species that they brought into the movie that were new and i really enjoyed some of the creatures that they brought in that haven't really seen any jurassic park franchise time other than the kenner jurassic park toy series from the 90s So I thought that was really cool. Um, I have been 3D printing a bunch of monstrosities. Uh, Today, I popped on a, (laughs) my kids love me to, like they love to have me uh, print Pokemon. So I printed off what I found was a realistic Gyarados that was modeled off the RJ Palmer art, which was really cool. And uh, that's going right now. But other than those things, I've really been kind of hanging low. There's been a lot of Godzilla stuff coming out we've got x plus doing the Superfest uh, in japan that's going to be hitting pretty soon and i saw that they released a godora figure x plus but i refute that's the wrong dragon guys if you're listening i'm holding out for the harry hausen dragon not the x plus godora so i'm going to save my 600 for something else um but yeah that's more or less what i've been up to so, anyways, we will get on to our write-ins. Paul, what have we got so far?
0: Well, um, I've had a letter. Before I do that, I just want to add one quick thing because it's Father's Day, and I, I completely forgot that I it's was not gift Father's Day. Paul. It, it was Father's Day. You had day. your
3: day. You had your day. It, you we missed
0: it. We had Father's Sunday, and I was gifted with a "World's Best Dad" T-shirt that has Godzilla giving oh. <laughs> um, Manila a piggyback ride. So amazing. I just wanted to. Quickly Where does she <laughs> find this stuff? You. Mention That's that.
3: Amazing. It's it brings a tear
0: <laughs> to my eye, actually. Yeah. So, sorry. Guide your conversations. We've had a question come in, which I thought was quite fitting as we're going with CGI. So, a Sally Tiernan Mitchell has written in and asked, Who is our favourite Monsters Inc. character? Now, I've seen Monsters Inc., and I know there was a sequel that I haven't seen. So, I mean, I only really know Sully and the eyeball guy whose name I can't remember. Mike Wazowski. Mike,
3: that's it. Come, Come on. Boo says his name like a hundred million times in that movie, Paul. <laughs> I haven't seen it. In ages. You've got kids. Where is this?
0: <laughs> okay, Joe, who's your favorite character?
3: You know, I, f- I forget her name, but it's the slug lady behind the counter that always gives Mike a really hard time. Ross? Yeah.
1: I think that's her name
3: you
2: need
1: to fill out your
3: reports or something like that like just every time i watch that movie like i don't chuckle or laugh every time it just kind of depends on what mood, I, mood i'm in but every time she starts talking and every time like they're like running away from her the slug lady like her voice and everything it does bring a smile to my face bat and sully because he gives the big cuddles yeah he does you know?
2: yeah yeah i I'd say Ros is probably my favorite character as well in terms of as a character, because it's so funny whenever she's on screen, Uh, but in terms of like monster designs, I do like Randall's design just because I'm a... a...
3: Randall was the best design monster. Which one was
2: Randall? He He was was the purple one. He was the one that goes invisible. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think that's just because lizards are my favorite animals and Randall is essentially a lizard monster if you think about it, but uh, yeah.
3: He was pretty good. Livy. Got to pipe in. What was your favorite Monsters, Inc. monster?
1: Oh, it's got to be Sully. Just, you know, yeah, soft, fluffy, (laughs) kind of, you know, father figure type thing as well. That's always cute in films. I don't know. But yeah, I I like Sully. He's my favorite. What did
3: we all think of Monsters University?
1: I haven't seen it.
3: Haven't haven't seen it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Saw the trailer. I feel like that was, I mean, as someone who's seen that film, I feel like it was shoehorned in and like they really tried to make it work, but they had to like really dance around a lot of stuff from the original film. And in dancing around all that stuff, it, it it's kind of obvious that they were really trying to like make people watch a movie. Um, I didn't enjoy it. It didn't, have, it didn't have the same magic, to be fair. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Not every Disney movie is magic, I will say. Poor Dumbo.
2: Good deal. Oh, no. I remember watching We are going cruise. to bring that
3: up with you. <laughs> You're going to go down that road. I, um, watched
1: it. I refused to watch it
3: the first one was sad enough, right?
1: Yeah. You don't need
3: yeah. a photorealistic crying
1: <laughs> mama elephant. I don't think it even follows the original Dumbo story that much. From You're what probably, I I mean what I know of it. I know, I just, of
3: the, go ahead.
1: A little bit of an unnecessary remake. Like I don't I actually don't mind the Disney live action remakes, but there was just something about that one that uh just pardon the phrasing. It just gave me the ick. I don't know what it was. I can't I can't describe it, but I was just like I can't get behind this one for some Dumbo reason. Dumbo
3: was such a sad movie.
1: Yeah. And it was
3: about picking on somebody who was different. And then it would also, I mean like when you watch Dumbo nowadays, I'm pretty sure it's one of those ones on the Disney Plus that comes up with the way they to- did things back then is not the way that we do things now. Yeah. The way that people are portrayed in this movie Are not the way that we wish to portray them anymore. This is a film that is a product of its time, and we apologize for that. I think it has one of those disclaimers in front of it because, yeah, racism isn't good. But, anyways, we digress. I also had a question. So my question was: Have you or do you know of any Bollywood kaiju films? Ooh. So. After I got this question, I'm not going to lie. I didn't say the question for this podcast. I looked it up. So there's a lot of stuff online that makes out that Bollywood films are kind of like jokey and ultra low budget, which we love kaiju movies. We're not averse to necessarily low budget films. However, you have to understand India's population, right? So India has a massive population rivaling almost that of China. And if they make a film and a quarter, a third, you know, like however many of those people see it, like you're talking copious amounts of money. And most of those films are not distributed outside of India per se, or they don't reach Western audiences. Now, I couldn't find any kaiju films that were Bollywood films. Um, I'm willing to bet that they're out there. I just couldn't find them and I didn't know what to look up but i did find out all sorts of conspiracy stuff so because apparently there are bollywood films that have massive budgets with visual effects Livy, like look really good i saw a trailer for one but western audiences generally don't see that and i was just curious because like they churn out a lot of films right so It came down to, there's a conspiracy that distribution companies for Western, you know, like production companies and stuff like that, they don't want American audiences and whatnot and Western, like European audiences necessarily know that these films are out there because they're being cranked out at such a pace. And they do have a decent amount of money behind them that it could, I don't know, mess up the way that films are distributed or the pie chart of who's making the most money. With films in today's world, I just thought that was a really interesting rabbit hole to go down, and that was about mm, half hour of Wikipedia. But you know, <laughs> as you will. But I thought that was really interesting. Have any of you heard of any like really cool Bollywood films, monster films, or just like let alone a Bollywood film?
1: I haven't heard of any like monster like type Bollywood films. But you say you saw one that had a trailer. Was it Brahmastra by any chance? And did it? It, like a fantasy type Bollywood film of like loads of visual effects and it. it looks like he could conjure like creatures and stuff like that.
3: I think it was like a Zodiac movie like where each character had like powers of like a certain Zodiac animal and they were all trying to like save the I I didn't speak the language that the trailer was in. I I apologize to everybody who was involved in that film, but I just, I didn't really understand what it was about, but it looked really cool. But uh, what you had was people turning into, or like, it was kind of like uh, the Eternals where you could have like that magical like aura around them, but it was like in the shape of like their Zodiac animals and each Zodiac animal had like its different things that it could do per se. I thought it was a really neat concept, but, like I said, I I didn't really understand what I was looking at, and I didn't have the time to really adequately research it. But the question stands, like, have you heard of a Bollywood monster film? And honestly, I haven't. And I feel that now that someone said that, and I know that they crank out a ton of movies, why haven't we on this podcast looked into this? So that's going to be a rabbit hole I'm going to jump down for next episode. Yeah.
1: Did it kind of look like that? Sorry. Like, kind of like, It's not going to focus properly, but the thing on the right there is kind of like a weird little monster thing coming out of a man. Like, I don't know.
3: You have to understand, I'm blind at the best of times, whatever you're trying to show me on this chat. Oh,
1: because when you said that it looked like, you know, the Eternals kind of like has like the aura of like a monster coming out of them, I think that might be Brahmastra. And I. kind of worked on that one as well which is kind of insane it was one of um Dina's like really big projects like at the time it was like the first like big Bollywood film they did or something it was it was kind of insane I was not on the project that long because I got moved on to Men in Black but I know someone who was on it like right until the end I think that might be the film you're talking about
3: I
0: saw it that. Looks
1: ama- it looks amazing. I didn't even know there was a trailer out until like literally the other day, and I said it to one of my friends, like, "Oh my god, guys, there's a there's a trailer out!" Like, what?
3: Yeah, I saw. I, it may very well be that, but I saw another one also that was like the Monkey King, and I am aware of the Monkey King as a myth and all that stuff. But it was like a guy who they dressed up to be a monkey. I'm not going to say it was necessarily the best makeup, but you know, like, it's fine. We know he's not just like straight monkey in the myth but he was fighting a dragon with a really long pole and it was awesome. And I was like, how come I haven't seen this? Like there are all sorts of people that would probably eat this up. But again, it was just, I've read that question this afternoon. I was like, you know, we tend to focus a lot on like what Western uh, production companies are doing and Japanese production companies. And then occasionally we delve into like some Korean stuff. There might be a Chinese film, an independent film, but Bollywood, interesting, Yeah. yeah.
0: But as you say, because it's not highlighted to us, you know, we, we get posts on Facebook or there's trailers on YouTube that are tailored to, to us to say this this film's coming out in the States or in the UK or in, in Japan or wherever. We don't get Bollywood trailers really, do we?
3: Yeah, like we could be missing a major trick. So
0: maybe we are. Yeah, that's that's a rabbit hole that you need to go further down, Joe, and let us know what you find.
3: Yeah. Well, anyways, that is Kaiju Conversations. Uh, We are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and Livy is going to tell us all about the awesomeness of visual
2: effects. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. I'm joined with uh, Paul, Joe, and Livy. Awesome.
3: So we're going to talk about Livy and all the cool stuff that she does. Livy, tell us about your role. What kind of shenanigans do you get up to in your working life?
1: Um, So as a VFX production coordinator, I, my main job is to kind of keep people organized, um, be it artists or my VFX supervisor, because he's, you know, usually the big man who's got to review all the stuff that comes in. Um, And um, when I used to work on like vendor side, so it's like for an actual company that does the visual effects on like all the shots in like a film or a TV show, um it was a case of like looking after artist schedules and liaising with our clients so that could be anybody from like paramount marvel disney um all that i heard there
3: was disney (laughs) okay
1: places like that you know to you know talk to depending on what project you're on um but now that i'm like on the client side of things uh i liaise with vendors and we help kind of like. Make sure that like they're going to be delivering their shots on time to us so that they can be cut into um the final edit that's going to be aired or shown in the cinema um <clears throat> yeah yeah that's pretty much what i do that's like the simple version of what i do pretty much
3: awesome so like your time to brag what cool stuff have you worked on
1: um cool stuff i've worked on uh avengers endgame i wasn't that, that... credited. I mean, I that's, that's
3: a big name drop right there. Yeah, then...
1: I, I wasn't credited on that one, though, because I <sighs> was a production assistant at the time. This is when I was at DNEG, which is double negative. Um, yeah, I was a production assistant. And because of like how they were structured as a company, there were department production assistants. So you would work in a specific visual effects department, kind of like helping out with like the production managers and like the heads of that department kind of thing um and then you would occasionally help your coordinators so i was in the effects i helped out with effects um and build and creature you know quite quite on brand there uh, not that i saw actually much creature stuff in the end because of just like the nature of the projects that i was kind of on um but yeah and i ended up covering different department dailies for avengers Endgame. <laughs> like me and this other pa kind of like took it in turns because they would always overrun God bless that supervisor though, he was one of my favourite people ever, I ended up working with him on Infinite actually, a bit later on down the line, Um, but yeah that was a fun one, I got to see the Cap versus Cap fight uh, before anybody else and What else did I see? That was super fun. I think that was like the biggest thing that I saw before Avengers Endgame came out and I had to keep obviously very tight-lipped about it but like for months I was just kind of like I'm literally just watching them go through this whole process of (laughs) making Steve Rogers fight himself which is kind of cool. So there was that and then the first actual film I was like officially working on that I got properly credited on was Men in Black International. Um, So if you guys um, have seen that there's the section that I worked on with like the very small team we had in London um it was like after they fight the two like the after they fight the twins in the middle of London and they have like this big fight scene like on like near St Paul's or something that was kind of quite fun um but yeah that was like the big thing that we worked on and then I worked on a film called Infinite for a year and a half we didn't think it was gonna end (laughs) that was an entertaining time uh yeah and then i got to work on the little mermaid as well so that was also quite a fun time i was in the compositing department for little mermaid um which meant that i was at like the end of the visual effects uh process making sure that all my artists had like all the different elements they needed to make the shot look nice and make it make sense and kind of grade it a little bit um but yeah and now i'm working on a tv show that's being done by one of my favorite um TV writers, I'm not gonna say yet cause I am not quite done, but I finish up on that very soon. So yeah.
2: <laughs> Excellent
0: stuff. So how did you get into this role?
1: Um, so I, I finished university in 2018 and I needed a full-time job in London. So I applied as a runner at Double Negative and kind of like worked my way up from there. But the only real reason I really knew like that I could go into visual effects was one, obviously I did a film degree, and then also, there's the fact that, um, like, my entire life, like, my dad has basically been a visual effects artist. He used to work for the Sun newspaper for a comic strip called Striker. It was like the football comic strip. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that one. No. I'm gonna
3: pull, I'm gonna no. put the American card
1: here. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, but they use um, uh, Maya, which is like the 3D software that. Um, the like cg modelers use primarily within visual effects so yeah that's like where my dad started and then he moved eventually moved into like working in film and tv so i would just kind of like hear horror stories from him growing up and he was always like never go working in visual effects and obviously he was saying that as an artist um because with vfx uh work with for artists is a bit more like you are very heavily reliant on like contract work um in that regard so it's kind of like unstable but like he's got a really good career behind him and then obviously vfx production like you always need production people so i was like oh it's fine i can be a runner i can go into vfx production i don't need any artistic talents i'm i'm just decent with money and i can do an excel spreadsheet and i can learn whatever other software i need to so and yeah and that's kind of like how i ended up here never necessarily intended again to be FX, but like i i love it i just love what i do i've really you know grown to appreciate it a lot more over the years um you know considering i work within it and i'm always ready to defend um artists and budgets and stuff like that or at least like defending films where people are kind of like baselessly bashing things that you, they you don't... kicked
3: over a stone here i have to interrupt you tell me about sonic i want to hear about sonic <laughs> <laughs>
1: that one i won't i can forgive because they actually listen to people but i just did (laughs) i find it really interesting that someone clearly looked at that design and was like we're gonna sign off this design so someone they hired someone to sit down and draw that as a concept piece, right? And someone high up above in whatever company it was that did Sonic was like, we're gonna go with that. We're gonna pay some people to build and animate this for a trailer and people are actually gonna really enjoy it. And obviously no one did. So the fact that they actually went back, pushed the release date and like redid it was like really good and also very rare because the same company that did the VFX for Sonic we're also working on cats.
2: Oh no. <laughs> oh.
1: And we all know <laughs> our okay, cats. Okay. They,
3: they learn from their mistake. That's <laughs> what no, that but they is. were
1: working like there was a team at the same time working on cats. But it was just, I heard a horror story recently that the director of cats, um, not necessarily the best person to work with. And that's why everybody working on cats was like super overworked and doing like 20 hour days up until release day. Um but yeah, it's so odd. It, it really, like with things like that, it really depends on like who's up top, you know? So obviously with like Sonic, someone up top clearly was like, okay, maybe we should listen to the audience and we'll get like a better film out of it, which they did. I saw Sonic. I'm not a Sonic fan, but I genuinely I really enjoyed that film. And I'm kind of, I, I kind of wanted to go watch the sequel. The fact that it got a sequel, first of all, kind of just shows that like,
0: listening yeah, they made the to the right audience is
1: a good <laughs> thing, you know? Um, So I'm kind of sad I missed the sequel but I'm sure it'll be like online streaming somewhere and I I will watch it but yeah (laughs) that that was the deal with Sonic so I'm kind of like impressed that they listened and reworked it but it's a shame that they didn't listen with cats whoever was properly in charge of that because obviously it's not the VFX guys at the end of the day they just get told to do things even though they do get some input into it it's not the vfx supervisor's decision at the end of the day for like character concepts it's someone else so yeah
3: i thought cats was just a weird film regardless of which one it was
1: yeah i
3: <laughs> speaking as a dog person but you know like
1: <laughs> i've been told the only way to watch cats is if you're like five beers deep when starting it and then you we keep call those
3: reading. lemonades here we call those lemonades <laughs> okay we have a significant under drinking age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. But well,
3: yeah. Well, a couple lemonades deep, right? Mom, dad.
1: Cool. Yeah. There we
3: go. Yes.
1: Yeah, so you have, let's just say you have to be in a certain, um, frame of mind mm. to watch cats and keep that up. Otherwise you will not enjoy it and you will not find it funny. And when I say enjoy it, I mean, that's
3: cats is supposed to be funny.
1: Not funny. Ha funny. Like, oh. at least I can get through it, you know, fu- you know, Find some sort of enjoyment in it somewhere. So bad that you have to laugh. You know. This is
3: this is my point where I once again plug Tammy and the T-Rex is a great movie.
0: Yeah, but but I want to see. Have Tammy and the Sea
1: I, I haven't ever heard of that. <gasps> oh my
3: gosh! So Paul Walker and Denise Richards. This is their first movie.
1: I see. Okay.
3: And the whole reason that this film got made is because because there's a special edition out and i watched the special features of this beast so the like the director and the the director producer they had a friend and the friend was just like hey we're transporting this animatronic dinosaur you know like we're gonna have it for a weekend do you want it for anything and in like the space of a week (laughs) they made a movie
1: oh my god
3: and you know what it is so awful. It is good. And you don't even have to be
1: in a certain so frame of mind.
3: Yeah. In a different frame of mind. Yeah. Yo, you just, it is so bad. It is amazing.
1: <laughs> that that reminds me, have you guys heard of the film, uh, Velocipasta?
3: yes oh yes <laughs> that, 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 my
1: friend sent me like a TikTok where someone was watching it and just laughing through it and the bit that got me was the one shot where it just says vfx in explosion on car and i was just like oh my god what they put that on prime or something like prime
3: has a lot of movies like that
1: yeah i
3: if you if you and your friend like that, I can highly recommend a film called Christmas with Cookie. Paul loves this film. <laughs> I think I've heard. We are, uh, we are experts in the low budget
0: yeah, gems. That is that is is low budget, absolutely.
2: Oh. <laughs> if we're talking about low budget gems, I recommend the incredible Bulk, which uh, is a uh, a really um, cheap movie, as in all the special effects are. Uh, stock footage pretty much or like stock assets that's amazing <laughs> it's just but this- we
3: but we digress tanning the t-rex folks <laughs> you got to check it out kids no adults yes but anyways so you've worked on some really awesome projects i heard little mermaid a while back and i feel like this is an extra t- ex- a great time to ask an expert opinion so kaiju means strange beast would mermaids qualify as kaiju thoughts
1: i think it depends on your mermaid design so obviously you know like in harry potter and the goblet of fire where was like a cop-out <laughs> <laughs> no 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 yeah it depends on how grim your mermaid looks because you get like the really pretty ones like in a disney film like the little mermaid they're very you know, PG, not scary kind of thing. But then you get like the one that you had in Harry Potter, which was like very kaiju in a way. It was not, it was kind of spooky. I think that's the reason why my mom hates mermaids. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, she hates mermaids. I think that's a strange
3: past- phobia. I'd love to hear the Greek name for that.
1: <laughs> I bet you there is one. No, she's not scared of them. She just hates them. Like, you know. Well, that's different.
3: just, that's just specious. That's, that's what that is.
1: <laughs> But yeah, it's because of how they looked in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And then you have, have you guys seen the Lighthouse? Yes, <gasps> so
2: good. That's so right up good. Our I
1: don't. Again, this is if you have like quite a young audience. This is not one for your young no. audience. but this mermaid, is for mom and
3: dad. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is for mom and dad. But um, I would say the mermaid in that could qualify as a kaiju, even though she's pretty. There's just something off about her. And then obviously the situation in which she pops up. I think that could go into kaiju realm considering yeah. You get me? I think it really depends. I get it. it really yeah. depends on like the context of the mermaid and how they actually physically look. Like does it look more like an actual creepy looking underwater creature or does it look very clean and disney?
3: Fair enough. Yeah. So, you said earlier before we got off on the sonic uh, sidetrack there you said that there are films that you de- that you defend and people attack. Do you want to pick out an example there and like why it's worth defending? Like I'm gonna go things that people so that things things that people just don't know and then like they need to be educated. Like rant. Tell us what it is.
1: Okay, I'm actually going to pick Multiverse of Madness as my film to defend because one of like the biggest things I've seen in regards to that film is like how bad quotation marks the visual effects is when firstly it's not not when you have companies like Framestore and Weta Digital working on them those are those are companies that require a lot of money to be able to get your work done because they are like the top end VFX companies and with things like that it also depends on like what sequence each company gets so like if you are a like really high end company you're going to get like a more complicated sequence however if it gets to a point where you know, say like Disney and Marvel wanted to say, like give Framestore or Weta like more work, but it turned out they couldn't afford to, then that's when they start looking at slightly cheaper companies. Now, I had a theory- More economical,
3: more economical.
1: Yeah. So I had a theory, right? Um, So I'm not necessarily keen on the shuma fight. Like I think the creature design was wonderful. I think they animated it really well. Um, A majority of the shots, it was composited in really well, but there are some shots where he's holding either Strange or Wong, and it just doesn't quite look right. Like the shadows are not, like for me, like the contact shadows are not there, which is like quite important if you're having like a digital creature interacting with like a real life human. And I feel like in some instances they could have like replaced the real human with like a digital version. I think that could have worked. And I thought, oh, maybe Weta did Schumagoroth, because obviously Weta are very famous for all their creature work. Like, you know, they're and they're working on Avatar right now. So I kind of thought, okay, if they did work on that sequence, then probably all their best VFX artists are on Avatar two and three right now. So they would have had to get like junior and mid-level artists, which are significantly like cheaper and just like. Slightly more inexperienced, so things will take longer, and they get to the point where you're just like, okay, we don't have enough time to keep going on this. Like I've seen it happen. And then I read a few articles, and I found out that it was a place called Luma that did the um fight scene, and they are a smaller. They're not massively small, but they're smaller than somewhere like Framestore, Weta, Double Negative, MPC, Island. Like a lot smaller than any of those. And so I feel like the budget wouldn't have been there and like I have heard of previous instances where like Disney or Marvel or whatever had gone to Luma because someone else was giving them like too high of a price for something that they didn't want to necessarily pay that amount of money for so they went somewhere a little bit cheaper which I think is totally valid um it does mean that your end product is not going to necessarily look the same as like everything else and the quality will not necessarily be as high especially if it's like a complicated sequence like that but i still think they did it really well i just Mm -hmm. personally noticed certain things because as a coordinator who takes notes for visual effects supervisors over the years like you do pick up like things like you start to notice things yourself like you can look at a shot and be like even though you don't necessarily have the technical knowledge behind it you can still look at it and go like, that doesn't look right. And then your VFX, you will be like, oh yeah, that doesn't look right. Here's why, write it down so we can change it. So yeah. So I will like defend that to a point, because that was like the main thing that everyone was like kind of like going on about and I'm like, no, here's just, just Google's free. <laughs> also my TikTok is free, I guess, but like, see, <laughs> just like take time to like learn about something before like trying to like say oh it's bad that's like my thing particularly with like this film and like the other thing i think in this one that people were getting like really up in arms about i think was um uh like the the gap between like realities where the book of Fish Shanty was connor and paul have you seen the film
2: no. i've uh, i've seen the
3: original see doctor strange okay.
1: Okay, yeah. so no one knows no one here quite knows what I'm talking about, but I'm just gonna go with my passionate <laughs> real. I've okay, seen I've it.
3: seen I've seen previews, it's fine. Yeah. Like I yeah. I know I know what scenes you're talking about, and yeah, so the realm that the Book of Ashanti is in, like it is a
1: it is basically a pure green screen, blue screen. Yeah, it is
3: a chaos realm. There are rocks yeah, okay. everywhere, it's yeah. rainbow colored, there's yeah. strange critters people, flying about.
1: Some people are like, mm, but like It didn't look good though like it was so like this or that and i was just like my brothers in christ (laughs) it was a full cg environment (laughs) like they do so much like on set to make sure the lighting on the actors ends up matching what they want the cg background to look like and people just don't appreciate that they think that it's like oh yeah they just slap a background on and it's done no there's so much that goes into it and like People think, oh yeah, well, Disney is Disney. They have so much money so they can, you know, afford to do like pay for more time or this. It's like, well, firstly, the film got delayed by two months anyway because of such instances, because of the reshoots. And secondly, Disney doesn't have like an infinite amount of money. They have so many projects going on. They have to dish out like the overall film budget depending on like what might be more of a priority for them first of all and like what the director is like happy to work with and then that and then from that budget like VFX uh, usually gets about a third to a half of like the overall budget so I, I I will always defend Multiverse of Madness for the VFX because like I I know a couple of people who worked in it as well they like recently they told me a couple of things and I'm just like Yeah, that checks out. It's VFX, that happens on like every project. But I think because this particular film was just like so out there with what it was doing, anything that doesn't seem right, like people are gonna try and pick out, but it's not that it's not like right. It's just a case um, of like, it's just very like high sci-fi in a way. I think that's the only way to describe it because it's all very weird, spacey, sciencey stuff. So, nothing wrong with it and it looks good i've seen the film eight times and i'm like yeah no people are making a fuss over nothing
0: <laughs> so... people on the internet do that
1: yeah no. i don't i don't understand <laughs> it.
2: That. Yeah.
0: i so... think it's um interesting it's about you thought Weta did the um the fight scene oh. because they're known for monsters so yeah. in the industry are there certain companies that disney or whoever will outsource to because they're good at doing people or scenery or monsters etc
1: Yeah. Um, I know for a fact Framestore pretty good with like digital doubles of human beings. Um, someone I worked with recently, he worked on the first Dot Strange film and I heard this story from my dad as well. Um, apparently like, and then, then I heard it again, obviously from this guy I worked with that they were in dailies, like creature dailies or like asset dailies, whatever you want to call it. These are
3: production meetings for folks that don't know. Right.
1: Um, So dailies are where artists submit their work for the visual effects supervisor to review. Um, And you can do them like as an overall thing. So you go through every department in one block or you just do them in separate blocks for specific departments, depending on what's like going on in the day. So they were in like modeling or creature or asset dailies, like looking at things like digi doubles and like buildings that people had done or whatever. And they got to the digi double of Benedict Cumberbatch as your man, Stephen Strange. Um, No one could tell the difference. Literally nobody could tell the difference between the two. That's how good it was. And a model like that will then get shared between companies to be used in whatever sequence it's needed for. So then that each company can like animate it how it needs to be animated for whatever and lit for whatever's needed for whatever they're working on, basically. Um, But yeah, so Weta is like really well known for like their creature work. So I always just work on the assumption that if I see Weta in the credits, I'm like, okay, so whatever creature was in that film, Weta probably did it because they worked on the, I believe they worked on the Deviants for Eternals, and they worked on the big dragon sequence in Shang-Chi. So that's why I thought, oh, they probably did Shumagoras. I totally
3: thought you were going a different route with the big dragon. I was waiting for another name to drop, but...
1: (laughs) Who are you thinking I was going to say? Smog. Oh, yeah. I mean, the big dragon. <laughs> like, yeah, the big dragon. Obviously where I did the big yeah. dragon, but like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's why I thought, oh, maybe they did Chumagorath. And then I read an oh, cool and I was like, oh, they did it. They did. I think it was like, I think it was the end Kama not Kamatosh, the end like um, Wundergore Fight sequence of like Zombie Strange, apparently. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. That threw me under, that threw me out the loop. Um, And then you have like NPC who are really good with creature work in terms of like animals, specifically because they did John Fevereau's Lion King film and I believe they also did his Jungle Book film. So they're very good with like very realistic looking creatures. So yeah, there are different companies that are really good at different things that client side companies will reach out for specifically because they know they're going to get that kind of quality of work. That's cool.
0: Mm. Sorry, I think you were going to ask something before I butted in there.
3: Oh no, it's fine. She actually answered in when when she. Okay. Went. So. <laughs> so, I'm just like I'm just curious. Um, you you've picked out a film that was you know like it was it was hard to or it needed to be defended, so. I'm just curious, like what other like, like what are like other things that as a visual effects savvy person, someone who's in the industry, like what are the common faux pas that you can like spot? So you're talking about shadows earlier. I mean, I pay a little bit of attention to shadows because I remember getting the Star Wars like updated versions when George Lucas did his initial re-release of that old folks. So when you super what he was talking about in the uh, special features. and he took out one scene where they superimposed the rancor stop motion over mark hamill in Jabba's palace and when they superimposed that footage of the of the puppet over there was a shadow where that cell was and it makes like a black line and when Mm. they went back to digitally touch up everything they took that shadow that black line out and I wouldn't have never noticed that that was there before because it's a big shadowy place. But when you go back to like your VHS tapes, as young Joe, nerdy as it was, like I went and watched that. And like, I'll be darned. There was a shadow there, but I would have never have caught that. So what things like do you look for? Like what I, I want to understand, like we all know what bad CGI looks like, but what is what's like oops that you can spot you know like for the people who are really savvy because there are people that are as persnickety and nerdy as me who will like to really see this like what are the oopses that are like commonly done in CGI
1: so any hard edges um for like any green screen or blue screen work if you you sometimes the main thing is trying to make sure like characters or buildings or whatever you've got a green screen behind doesn't have a hard edge because then you can tell it's sort of been like you know define pop, a pop.
3: hard edge
1: so, is this a lighting thing
3: or is this just like straight line or
1: it's already a light it kind of is a lighting thing but i just mean like you know, when you have like a green screen, and then you have like a person in front it, and front of it, and you want to put them on like a different background, which is why you have the green screen. If that person has an obvious sort of cutout line around them,
3: oh, I see what you mean. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so a like, hard line. So,
3: so like, kind of like, they fade into the background a little bit. Like it's 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 not a jarring difference of color. So we,
0: no, so they'll was... they'll
1: be color matched to the background anyway, but you can tell if there's like it's called um
0: there's almost like a cutout line around them.
1: Yeah, there's basically it? like a cutout line a lot around them. So yeah. it can either be referred to as like a hard edge, but then sometimes the edges are too soft, so there's that, and then that's uh that can be also known as haloing and it kind of looks like a gray little fuzzy line around someone. So there's that you got examples for us. <laughs> There is actually a the, the, the tiniest amount of haloing um, on America Chavez in the Shuma scene, but it's for a split second, it's when she's running. But honestly, I think it's just her flyaways, like off her hair, but it looks like she could have been haloing as she's running away from this giant monster. Ooh. So yeah, I think when you guys get around to seeing that, you might be able to spot what I'm talking about. And another really, kind of like obvious one like to me anyway is de-spill again it's to do with like blue screen or green screen work obviously when you shoot in that kind of environment you do get like the bounce of green or blue onto an actor's face and you have to like neutralize Ah. it and sometimes it's not necessarily neutralized enough and you can kind of like catch like a green edge or like a blue edge on them or like a blue or green highlight
3: that's really clever yeah. I'll have to look for that at some point. Yeah. One of the ones that always bugged me, um, I have two actually. So one is shadows not looking right.
1: Oh yeah. That one also kind of like bugs me as well.
3: <laughs> so this is, this is one for folks. So I mean, like, this is kind of like one of those ones that where, because I'm a practical effects guy and I love my practical effects. And practical effects, you don't necessarily have to worry about the shadow anymore because the mm-hmm. thing's actually there. So I'm sure that there are programs that incorporate certain physics in the way that light strikes things and whatnot. That you know it does the majority of the work. But whenever I see a shadow that's going in the wrong direction to the light source, it it, it bugs me so yeah. much. So this would be example. So for example, if if the if it's noon theoretically, your shadow should be very small. We learned this when we're quite young. But if it's morning or evening, your shadow should be long, going in either or direction. So in the morning, um, the sun rises in the east, your shadow should be going way off towards the west. However, I've seen on a couple films where the sun is like evening, and yet the shadow is going off towards the west. And it's just like, wait a second here. The other thing that bothers me and I'd, I'd imagine that, there, again, there's physics behind this as well, water. Mm. So oh. I i am fine with waves and stuff like that. The most recent thing that irked me is like the waves, the ripples, the swimming. It looked person. It looked great, but the person wasn't wet.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And that was an element that bothered me, because you could tell that like they were green screening it up. Someone had like fans, and they were like waving capes and stuff like that, but the person wasn't wet so that was something that bothered me it's just like these are the things that i catch
1: but also was the person uh underwater in this situation or
3: a good portion of them was okay but
1: so like their face or whatever wasn't wet no it wasn't uh, okay. wet
3: yeah the other thing the other it's, it's a subtle thing too but like when someone's breathing in water their breath hits the water and you see like a little bit of splashing and whatnot mm. as some as people with glasses we are bound to catch this because you know that like you breathe close to water or something like that like it's going to like splash you yeah right like get caught on your glasses but you like i think a, like a lot of the 2020 people out there are like what are you talking about but <laughs> it's a thing and i was watching this is like that, that's not real like where's where's the sputter you know like I, 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 what but these are things that like I catch. I'm just curious, you know, like, what are the things that like trip people up in the visual effects industry? Because you've got like these really expert people, but what slips through the net can be mm-hmm. just as interesting as the things that they focus on.
1: What slips through the net? Ah, uh, you know what? Sometimes. Um like wire removal you know and you've got like a superhero flying around in front of a green screen and they're on a wire obviously like the actor's on a wire i've genuinely been in a situation where the shot i was working like the shot we were working on was almost final and our vfx supervisor was like hang on we didn't remove part of his rip." oh no <laughs> <laughs> so we had to quickly get. So we was like, "Can you remove the rig from him?" And then we sent. It. And like the funniest part was, it was like a there's so much backstory to why that even happened. Um, there was like an, one VFX supervisor, and then the work got shifted to another. But the funniest part was is that like this shot had previously been sent to our clients, and the clients' side VFX supervisor hadn't noticed it at all which would have been really bad if we hadn't, like if this other VFX who had uh, come in to look after this like these certain shots you just we just wouldn't have known that someone hadn't taken his rig off and it was like such a split second thing um but yeah it was quite you know stuff like that like it's really little things and you know seeing a camera in like a reflection that sometimes happens or you know boom being in shot either like yeah. up top but then a lot of the time with the booms being in shot they usually get hidden by like the like the widescreen mask so sometimes they they can just be a boom and shot you would never know because it's covered by the um widescreen black lines basically that's how uh, <laughs> that's how things can be getting you know they get away with things in vfx just to sort of save a bit of time on a shot if it's if it's hidden behind the mask is that it's called Don't bother with it, Um, and also sometimes like just reflections in general. Like you know, you can spot a crew member in a reflection. You got to remove them from that. Sometimes that can be quite hard to spot, and occasionally can get missed until like quite later on in the process.
3: I'm sure people with glasses must drive visual effects artists crazy. (laughs) Because like you can catch people in like their glasses, can't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's yeah. (laughs) And then like that's why that's why they um with like Daniel Radcliffe and Harry Potter, they had gave him glasses less glasses. There was so they didn't get there was this no is a
3: thing I didn't even know.
1: Yeah. Wow. His glasses have no lenses. That's it. They're called lenses. Wow. <laughs> glasses-less glasses less um, glasses. Yeah, his glasses didn't have any lenses in them um, because they didn't want to risk catching um like any sort of crew or camera in the reflection and considering he is the main character and therefore in the majority of the film that would have cost money to then clean up in basically every single shot wow you notice it on close-ups that he's not got any lenses in those glasses especially in the earlier film. he keeps them
3: way too clean why did i never catch this (laughs) like wow yeah (laughs) my mind is blown now that's good i like that okay so we've gone over things that trip people up what are things that people focus on so like what are like the hard things to do like where do you see like really like good finesse in like a cg artist or a cg company like what are things that make them stand out like you've you've elaborated that like different companies have different specializations but what's something like a visual effects scene that makes you go wow that was good i yeah,
0: the Doctor Strange that. twin, <laughs> being yeah Doctor yeah. Strange
3: twin, but <laughs> like I, I remember like again I watched the special features of a lot of films and I'm not mm. really bad for this, but I remember hearing that in Shrek they got Fiona to a point where she looked too real.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and they, it became like uncanny valley, so they had to dial it back a notch or something like that.
3: Yeah, so the what I I, I know that it's like people have been like creepily real. I mean Res- rescue rangers, the the film that Disney just put out was hilarious for it. Do you remember in the early 2000s where like the CGI was right, but then like there was something off about it. I remember yeah. that that was that was a pretty good like callback to it. But I understand that like we can people are focused on so much because obviously like the main protagonists are films and like if you're gonna catch something out it's gonna be like on a face because we are trained psychologically And evolutionarily to like pick up on facial structures and things that are wrong. But just as like lighting, um, ambient effects, like what's some really cool stuff that like people do? Like, is there like really anything that's like a really cool program, like a really great shot that you've seen recently that's just been like, wow, that's not a person, that's not a creature or anything, but like that glass shattering and the way the reflection was
1: on each individual piece, that was so cool. Or something like that? Um, Oh god, that's such a hard question. I'm trying to think. Uh, Oh, I want to talk about it, but it's not really age appropriate. I can't talk about that. It was um, the film Men, the Alex Garland one.
2: Men. I've I've seen the trailer for it, yeah.
3: Uh, I I feel like this was made for me but I haven't seen it then the
1: the trailer I'm just going to say it now the trailer gives no indication of the fact that there is body horror in that film and it's disgusting (laughs) it happens right at the end of the film but it's all VFX and I was just like it's on people obviously because it's body horror but I was just like floored by it I was just kind of like this is disgusting I hate it I can't look away (laughs) kind of deal um there was one moment in it where I was like okay this is too much but like as a whole sequence that last bit of the film meant I thought was just incredible like the way like just so incredibly done it's basically just Rory Kinnear just going mental I'm not gonna say what though it's look it up it's it's kind of grim but yeah I thought that was really well done just like as an overall thing just because of like how realistic it looked first of all I think that's you know realism you know you you know it's good vfx when you can't like spot that it's vfx but I I knew it was vfx because yeah um I don't know I guess like Dune as a film just has so much has just so much VFX in it but you wouldn't be able to necessarily tell I kind of like it when films are like really subtle um like that as much as I love things like you know Marvel or like the very like fantastical kind of element you can get out of visual effects I do also really like it when it you know it's a visual effects heavy film but you just can't tell because of like how subtle it is and I think just Dune as a film like does that for me like it was just perfect
3: <laughs> so i saw a pretty good actually I've, I've got i've got two one you may have seen you may not so have you seen the prequel to the thing right. so it's, it's one of those films that kids can't see but it's uh it'll give you some squishy some some skin crawly moments but again if you watch the special features mm. it's there were a lot of scenes in there i was like that's that's cgi right there Mm -hmm. it was practical but they but they married it up with cgi yeah so again it was a very subtle thing but the prac like because the original thing is like it's put on a pedestal for one of the greatest practical effects films of all time and when they went and did this prequel to that film they wanted to like keep a lot of practical effects but they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily go around like blasting that because they understood the legacy of the first film but what they had was like practical effects and then they had like green bits on it you know that would be like marrying up but the length to which they went with the practical effects and then what they used the visual effects for was really good citing a recent example again i went and just saw jurassic world dominion so the Gigantosaurus, which is not necessarily what you call a big bad of this film but he's certainly an antagonist she perhaps i don't know i didn't check but um they did that animatronic and it's massive but obviously it's not on legs walking around and i remember well, I i can i could see the animatronic was being used in certain scenes because of the fluidity of motion it was pretty fluid like don't get me wrong yeah but there's one scene where there's a tipped over truck as you will in a jurassic Mm -hmm. park movie and there's a large angry thing trying to eat the people or at least give them a really hard time and basically the people are like inching around one side of the truck while the thing's walking around the other way so they're just kind of going in a circle around this truck and the animatronic was being used for that scene But you could see the feet underneath of it, which were all CGI. And it was really great. And the reason that I thought it was great, I mean, the scene takes place kind of at night. So there's that way to, like, minimize the amount of work. But there were a lot of sparks and little fires going around. And the feet and the legs were lit really well because you had all, like, these embers going everywhere and stuff and i thought that that was a really great marrying and i really like that because one of the things that they've done since the beginning with jurassic park is the creatures reacting with the environment because they're massive Mm -hmm. and whenever i see like i'll call it mulch but it was just like ground and stuff on it but like whenever you see that stuff reacting with the creature's foot and being spread apart and like bouncing because you know like it's huge i think that's a really nice touch and it's those things that you know people really need to look for because it's great to make it's the creature looks fantastic the whole team working on that but it's the little things that make it fit in the scene where you go like ah you know like that was there mm-hmm. i thought that was a really good example to use as well sorry if i'm picking out creature films <laughs> no, it's yeah.
1: okay i was gonna say with in terms of like Marrying together, practical and visual effects. Uh, I'm gonna bring him back to Multiverse of Madness because I why not? Him. Yeah, why not? Any excuse for me to talk about Benedict Cumberbatch is one I will take. So um, the zombie I
3: love
1: strange. Cut him. I love his hair. Me too. I have so much artwork on my walls to do with like Stephen Strange. I'm just staring at it anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry, the hair thing just reminded me of that. Um, but the zombie strange variant like all his makeup is practical. That's really cool. Yeah, basically all his makeup is practical, but there's um on the left, his left hand side, there's like a large chunk that's meant to be missing and you see like inside his mouth. So they have that section painted green so that they can do VFX onto it. Mm-hmm. And there's like other little bits of him that have like green on so that they can do the VFX on top and it just, yeah, it's so good. Like you. Like one of my friends, he's he loves his Sam Raimi films, um, adores Bruce Campbell, Everybody all that kind of thing. And he was just like, oh, my God, they did all the makeup. It was practical. What the hell? I can't believe they did that. That's so cool. Like, I love Sam Raimi. And I was just like, dude, of course, they did practical makeup. Like... <laughs> I was like, I hate to burst your bubble a little bit, but firstly, of course, they did practical makeup, and secondly, they just would have added VFX on top of it where they needed it to, because obviously, you know, if he's a talking zombie in this day and age, you can do something to make it, you know, like I said, they put green on his face that so they could show the teeth kind of thing, um, and so you could like have more of like a natural mouth movement. Do they put like?
3: so when they map it like that are they putting like those little dots on his face still or is it just green because like how Um, do you get because how do you get the musculature to look right you know what i'm saying i
1: think they must because i only saw like quick little snippets of like the behind the scenes like videos that they've sort of been releasing on instagram so i can't wait till they release like the whole thing like the whole behind the scenes thing that they've been doing um but like from what i could tell They didn't have the tracking markers uh, on the green, which is very interesting, but you don't necessarily actually need tracking markers. uh, Sometimes you can, you can do it without, it just makes things a little bit more difficult. But I don't know, time will will tell, those videos were like, you know, square on Instagram, so hopefully we'll get a better look at that at some point soon. So yeah. And because it was only such a small section of his face.
3: What Marvel movie do you think has the best special effects? The best visual effects? Eternals. Really, I would I would not have seen someone go for that. I love the end shot of like the thing rising out of the ocean. Sorry, spoilers, but you know like. Yeah. I thought that was like really good. The way it's interacting with like the clouds, it looked just like beautiful. It was like a painting. Yeah, it,
1: yeah, exactly. Like it's stuff like that. I think Chloe Zhao is an amazing director and she did such a beautiful job with Eternals and it was just such like a different, I love it when like as much as I really enjoy the MCU there's like certain aspects of it that I prefer more than others like I do not care for Iron Man, Steve Rogers, I do not care for like the phase one, phase two kind of deal apart from like Thor but like I just really love how for like the later phases of the MCU they keep bringing in different directors to actually give like a more unique feel to everything and like Eternals just sort of had that all over in terms of like just the way it was written, how Chloe Zhao directed it, just the topic of the film in general and then the visual effects. It was very different to like what Marvel had done in a film before I would say, so yeah.
3: I'm still wondering why nobody in like the Marvel universe has talked about like the giant thing that erupted out they of the do. ocean. Yeah. I mean they Sam to- and
1: Bucky were like on their boat, you know. <laughs> they would <laughs> they, they were need, just chilling.
3: They need to address that. They really do. I,
1: I really hope they do. And you know, like Arishem in the sky right at the end. I feel like they should probably address that at some point soon. Yeah. So <laughs> who knows?
3: Small, small plot uh, holes.
2: I think in the world for a man turns a giant green uh, creature, as well as uh, just aliens coming out of the sky, and nothing has, nothing surprises people anymore <laughs> in this universe. You're Actually, like, oh, that's a like good that, point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, numb to it at this point, aren't they? Yeah.
3: Fair enough. Well, I think we've reached the point in the episode where we have to give our recommendations. So, if nothing else, round table, Libby, if nothing else, people who are just smirk you know like they just love visual effects where would you recommend them look to like get information to see some good stuff are there any books movies you can plug your tiktok
1: i mean yeah i'm going to plug my tiktok first of all because i have a very small i have like a series called vfx prod bites where i talk about elements of visual effects in like 1 minute segments that's very easy to digest and people have told me they've learned a lot my TikTok is lady of the internet so you can go there and have a look for that playlist. Um, Secondly, I would also recommend like if, especially if you're a Marvel fan and you sit through the credits to get to that second post-credit scene, keep an eye out for like names of visual effects companies and go and look them up. Go and Google them because all of these companies, they have articles on their websites about the projects that they've worked on and they also have visual effects breakdowns, so you can see like a little process video of how things get put together um that's like one way i'd recommend or literally just for any film if you're someone who likes to sit through credits of any film take note of some vfx companies go look them up you will find so much on their websites and then i would also highly recommend going to paul franklin's twitter account Now Paul Franklin is a really lovely man, Um, he founded DNEG in 1997 I think it was, yes I think that was when, yeah I think that's when DNEG was founded, anyway he founded that company and he, um, he's like the 21st century daddy of VFX, that's like the only way I can describe him, he's so knowledgeable and like he has like these little tidbits of things that he's doing like on twitter so you know how like the mandalorian uses like the volume setup instead of like a green screen it's like the led screen it's known as like the volume um he's been doing a lot of stuff recently kind of like talking about that and he just kind of talks about vfx a lot in general on his twitter um he has done panels at uh conventions here in the uk before So yeah, I would definitely go to Paul Franklin's Twitter. I think he's like at Paul J. Franklin or something. But like if you just Google Paul Franklin VFX Twitter, it will come up like, but he's a good one to like follow if you're interested in VFX.
3: Very cool. Mm. Connor?
2: Well, Joe, um, if nothing else, I suppose I should recommend those King Kong books that I mentioned at the start of the podcast. they're, they're, they're a good read uh, and I recommend people read them if you want some more monkey time. But uh, yeah, um, Joe.
3: Right. So uh, in keeping with a lot of the stuff that I've talked about tonight, um, I felt it was like a really good intro. It used to be I got it on a VHS and it was its own movie and it was called The Making of Jurassic Park and now if you buy a jurassic park blu-ray or dvd like the original film it will usually come with this making of documentary because visual effects were revolutionary in that film so it goes over a lot of the things that the visual effects folks that worked on that film went over you know, like they did in order to like keep themselves from tripping up one of the things that i learned there is that they spent a lot of time watching the animals run backwards because they felt like that was the easiest way to find like oops daisies because it doesn't, if when you're running backwards, it doesn't look as smooth. If it, if, or when the effects, when the video is running backwards, if something's out of place, it comes up so much easier. And it was just really neat to see like the guys at ILM, like Phil Tibbet, Dennis Murin, all of these like pillars, like just working on that film. So it could very well be on YouTube by now. I don't know. But the making of Jurassic Park is a fantastic thing to watch. And alternatively, there is a book, The Making of Jurassic Park. And again, I'm referring to that original film because they were trying to find out what worked what worked, and what didn't and how to make it look real. And I think a lot has been built upon that work. So I'm going to recommend that. That's a good recommendation.
0: I'm sure I watched
3: that and had that VHS.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's one film, of those things. And that was the film for me that pushed CGI like, oh, this looks real. You know, it was yeah. amazing at the time.
3: And to think Still they went is. from Terminator 2 with like the metal guy yeah. to Jurassic Park in such a short space of time. Like those films were released pretty much within a year of each other and they were working on both. That's that's pretty great. Yeah. Paul, recommendation.
0: Right. Well, I'm going to go over a um, going topic CGI and recommend, which I think I've, I might have mentioned this before, but um, Final Fantasy Spirits Within. Because Great that fun. was that was like one of the first films where they tried to do CGI that looked real. And I remember being the articles of, you know, you know this it was in a newspaper, it had a picture of a person that go, this person isn't real. And it's just because the CGI was so incredible, which I it probably isn't now. But at the time, it it looked real
3: it holds up pretty well. I'm, a lot of the textures for the planets and everything that they did, yeah, that, it's pretty it good. The, pe- the, the motion,
0: the person, you know, that those individuals. Some looked, you could tell, were a bit off, but some were so well done, especially because it wasn't HD back then, so it was yeah. probably a lot easier to trigger. But uh, forty, oh, sorry, four uh, eighty, yeah. yeah. So yes, five months experience, but it's also got some cool creatures in it. So it does yeah. So that will be my recommendation
3: for today. Yeah. It would be hard to follow that act, ghost monsters and all. Yeah, they were cool. Thank you, folks, for listening to us again. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Livy is available as the Lady of the Internet on TikTok. Correct?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She
3: has fantastic videos. That is how I discovered her. Please check out that account. And as always, keep it kaiju. Kind of.
0: Go Lawnmower watch Lawnmower Man if you want to, you know, I'll just.
3: What are just, you watching yourself? For a CGI.
0: Time? Remember, that was cutting edge CGI at the time.
3: Lawnmower Man? Lawnmower
0: Man. Have you not heard of that?
3: That's not something I would look up or watch as like a riveting film, Paul. Oh, go or Google that. La- yeah.
2: Like, Lawnmower
1: Man. Hang on. It's... Have you
2: not? Does no one know this film? It's very loosely based. Oh, on good Stephen lord. King. Is
1: that?
0: Does... <laughs> it did happen, didn't it? I didn't dream I'm... it. Yeah, no, no,
1: that happened. Based on The Lawnmower Man by Stephen King? Yeah. Uncredited after lawsuit? Yeah. What?
0: (laughs) It (laughs) was a lawsuit. lawsuit. Even more interesting now. Oh, man. (laughs) The
1: film, originally titled Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man, differed so much from the source material that King sued the filmmakers (laughs) in May 1992 to remove his name from the title. Because oh. it bore no resemblance to the original. Oh my god, that's so funny.